to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here this week is Glenn Fitzgerald. That's correct. Also joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. I was very nervous doing the count, sans Jed. That's right. We've, we are without uh, almost unarguably the most rhythmic of our co-hosts. It doesn't often <laughs> come up on the recorded part, but we rely on it very, very much so for the pre-show of preparations. We're sans Jed Brewer, but we're going to we're gonna push on to ably. We've got some great questions. We've got some great stuff to talk about. But first, we have to declare an emergency. And, oh, uh, this one is an new. emergency. And um, here's the thing. You, you think, and we think every week on this show, we've done it. We'd made fun of white, suburban, evangelical, whatever you want to call it, church culture, in a way that they can't outrun, in a way that they can't top with their reality. And often what happens is we'll come up with something crazy, and then afterwards, or sometimes as we're recording and somebody's Googling, we realize that they have come up with something even stupider than what we're saying. <laughs> This one, we have a bit of a switcheroo because we've come up with the reality has parodied white church people in a way that is so mean and so on the nose that we would never come up with it. I give you the lead from this story from the Daily Dot. A woman who brought seasoning for her food to a church in Oklahoma was accused of having drugs and asked repeatedly to leave. Mm. Okay. So these were like pot brownies. This was uh, <laughs> apparently cilantro and oregano to be mm-hmm. added to the dish she brought for the potluck. And here's the thing. We all get the same internet. And if you spend some time on the, the internet that is post by non-white people, you know, taking some, some shots, having some, the subject of fun, of the the Caucasians there, one of the things that comes up over and over again is an aversion to seasoning. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. you know, your chicken doesn't have anything other than salt on it. Uh, as I believe one uh, person on Twitter put it, there's a whole subgenre of Yelp reviews that are white people reviewing uh, Asian and South Asian restaurants with things like the water was very spicy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And white yeah. people, I say to you, as a man who has been t- told totally stone-faced and unironically at a restaurant, sir, just want to warn you, this corn is a bit spicy. Right. So that's where I am. That's what I'm working with. You don't have to be afraid of seasoning. It's not of the devil. You don't have to cast it out. <laughs> but when you do, you end up looking a bit silly. When you say oregano, that's like code for marijuana, right? No, it's code for oregano. Oh, oh, like the spice. It's not a great code, but it's an effective one. Uh, because, uh, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that, that, I don't think you need to be afraid of that. I mean, I, yeah. I know some people have like their legalistic meter set for, you know, like basically anything, but oregano should be below that threshold wherever you have it set. The problem here is that, of course, we have the legalism matched with other words that have ism at the end of them, and that's just where we get into problems here, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, here's the thing. No one—I know you've been told there's a war on Christmas and all that, but 
I don't think no matter how much Tucker Carlson you watch, I don't think you're going to find a segment where somebody says they're just, they're just trying to come into your white churches and give away free weed. Also, (laughs) I don't know if any of you people in this church have uh, known people who do drugs before, but here's something they don't often do. Just give away their drugs for free. That's right. right. They're pretty attached to them. Like they're, they might share, but they're not just giving it out. Look, I'm saying being, you know, being highly suspicious of somebody that's different than you is the opposite of seeker friendly, which is, I think, what the mega church was supposed to do. You were supposed to kind of bring people in. Well, uh, let me just add this because we, you know, drugs are bad. We want to make sure we say that. Um, and, and yeah, it would technically be a bad idea if you bought some weed laced food products to the church picnic, technically, I mean, it might be a fun experiment to see, does this group of people mellow out a little bit, but that's, you know, let's, let's not do that. Like, don't get any ideas off of this, you know, because, uh, you know, that, that's probably an unhealthy thing. Yeah, uh, so this got this got out to the wider internet, and again, we had a clash of kind of people uh, really making some correct assumptions and some incorrect ones. To, to Lee's point, uh, according to this article from Daily Dot, one Redditor wrote, they know that isn't effing weed. They are racist. Here's the thing, friend on Reddit. They're definitely racist. They also definitely didn't know that wasn't weed. <laughs> <laughs> There's a second video where... Uh, the pastor says, lady, uh, very wisely recorded all this and put it on the internet because people need to know about this. So I go later in the story, another man who identifies himself as a pastor eventually comes out in the entryway and tells her that she's disrupting his sermon. So, so much well, was the kerfuffle. This dude walked off stage all the way to the back. As soon as she tries to explain what's going on, he puts out a hand and talks over her and continues the, to do the exact same thing. Every time she attempts to speak, telling her to quote, chill, Quote, stop, and quote, pause. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite parts of the story is the dude that comes in later and quote-unquote confiscates it because we got to go get it tested, like, in the lab. (laughs) 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 Like, first of all, I get it that megachurches have uh, coffee bars now. They have bookshops. They don't have forensic labs. Well, Yet. this may not be a megachurch, Lee. I think this was just a small uh, Methodist church in Oklahoma. So maybe they have like, uh, you know, they have to send it up to the denominational level. Yeah, you're you're talking you're talking about CSI Narthex, and I can't <laughs> wait to see that CSI UMC yeah. coming this fall oh, on CBS. Gosh. It's just a guy with sunglasses. He's taking him off. <laughs> you know, let's get this <laughs> to the lab. And then he makes a little the... pun and a switch foot chord hits and they go to the opening yeah. credits. Right. He, he he puts on his vestments and his aviators. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In the opening credits. The other thing I would say here, just on just completely unrelated to anything else about this story, is if you get to be at a church potluck, don't get in the way of people who are preparing food for the church. Just be oh, thankful my. and eat the food. Oh yeah. You're you're already in the thankful zone if you know which way is up. You just yeah. leave these people alone and yes. enjoy the food. That's exactly right. You know, Lee, I think that's a great point because we're looking at there's there's the racism, there's the I'm sure weird classism. I think this is a single mother. Uh, there's all the the horrific stuff going on, but the total breakdown in church order 
<laughs> is that these yeah. were apparently the two there's an older there's two older people who uh are the uh, the real kind of good cop bad cop of the situation except if it was just two schmucks uh who is as lee points to the lady uh is going to leave even though she doesn't have to and comes back and says can i get the stuff for my food because you know it's food <laughs> leading to uh <laughs> the the older woman threatens to call the police at that point and the wow. guy makes the pronouncement Leo's mentioning of, we have to figure out what this is. We have to test it. <laughs> like they're sending yeah. it up to, like they're sending it off. But here's the <laughs> thing. That's, of all the other stuff, you just gave me that. That's how I know this is a church I don't want to go to. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Because somebody said, I have a special thing that needs to get added to my church potluck meal. And instead of some old lady being like, give me the exact instructions so that I may uh, present this dish in a way that is correct and honoring to the person who put the time in to make it they were suspicious and uh, that's, that's right suspicion has no place at the church potluck the church potluck is a place of acceptance and exploration yeah heck yeah you need that's, a positive that's attitude. exactly right i think that's very very important i i don't think there should be any opinions being aired out or any like i i think the essence of everything i know about church administration is a step one get them to help step two get everything and everyone out of their way yes so you know you don't really need somebody getting suspicious over spices that's we don't need that <laughs> also i don't you know i'm not like an expert on the you know, like spices i'm not a food uh, you know i eat a lot of food that's about all i know but I'm pretty sure if you stuck your nose down into some oregano, it would probably smell vaguely like, you know, yeah, spicy. As opposed to weed that, you know, doesn't. Well, we were discussing this before we came on the air. Um, you would think it's incredulous that a room full of grown people from the, from the uh, video, seemingly in their 50s, 60s, maybe early 70s, uh, got all the way through life without smelling weed. But then you go back and reread Small Methodist Church in rural Oklahoma, and you go, <laughs> oh, yeah, that kind of tracks. I mean, yeah. I, in fairness, I, I might be a little more familiar with the electric lettuce than some of the people in your average Oklahoma Methodist Church. But, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, the... the if you don't know what weed looks like and you you basically are going through like the spice section of the grocery store and feeling like this is a suspicious situation you you just you might need to be a little more educated on it well i think that's a, that's a great point Glenn, and maybe we can use this as a public service opportunity to any uh people who fear that people are going to try to sneak drugs into their uh, church potluck um, much like the the news story that goes around every year of you got to be careful at Halloween because people are going to try to give your kids pot gummies that they don't. <laughs> Again, here's the thing. And we at the bridge, we've definitely had people who come in uh, under the influence of substances. We've had people come in almost certainly in possession of substances. Here's the thing no one's ever done. Just tried to start giving it to people. <laughs> <laughs> if someone's just trying to give it away for no money, it's not drugs. I can pretty much guarantee you that. That's right. I still love the pastor who has not been around enough weed to know that this is not weed, has not been around enough weed to smell it and still not know that it's not weed. 
but also wants to keep it to test it. He's like, right. you know what? This is my shot. <laughs> well, that's another amazing part of the story is the pastor who comes out mid-sermon, which what did he tell those that's people? Crazy. Y'all yeah. talk amongst yourselves. Yeah. I'm going to head on out. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, you got Sister Ethel and, you know, Brother, Brother Cletus there, and they're in, involved in this conflict. Here's the thing. If you're the pastor at that church and these people are that involved, you know how they are. Yes. So the, your instinct point. wasn't, mm, is this just being the, them being the way they are in a way need, that may need to be diffused as opposed to just telling, p- pointing, putting your hand up to the aggrieved party and saying the word chill, which maybe if you're a sexagenarian uh, Methodist pastor in rural Oklahoma, that should like not even be part of your vocabulary at all because that's concerning in another way. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, none of this looks good for you guys. But I have I have a, a good news to the end of this. Um, so you think, well, maybe they handled it well. Maybe it was a growing opportunity for this church mm. to look at the way they in, engage with the community, with yeah. a larger questions of race and culture, and really be what it means to be the body of Christ in a, in a community yeah. that's diverse. I go to the last sentence of the Daily Dot article. The church does not seem to have issued a public statement about this incident, although they did pause their Facebook group on November 15th to prevent new discussion on the page. Oh. oh. So. So okay. they're, yeah. Really nailed it at every turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you got a guy, and, and you know, as we've pointed out before, you probably know this guy is, or this gal, or whoever it is, is they're one of the ones that gave you headaches. If they're standing there Having confiscated a, a, a <laughs> spices from someone, like I think this is weed. I think you have to put a little pressure on that person and say, "Why do you think this is weed as opposed to something for the potluck?" Given that we're having a potluck, <laughs> you know, they, they, I think you have to answer for that in, in my world, anyway. Yeah. Um- don't you can't trust someone with any point of authority who apparently has a secret desire to be a church cop? Yeah, because a lot of <laughs> we need to send this off for testing, and we know what you did, and uh, I I know a certain amount of the population just falls asleep watching whatever uh, cop based drama is on CBS, but you can't let that blend over into the real world <laughs> where you right, deputized yeah. yourself as <laughs> you know church security team. Uh, you know, narcotics division here. That's really not how we're going to do that. Anyway, we hope that if you've had any issues at your church in the last little bit, that this story has made you feel better about them. Cause I can't imagine (laughs) anyone handled it as horribly as you, as they handled this. And when we can't do things well, we can at least take some kind of solace in the failures of others. And if nothing else, that's what the emergency segment is about. And on that, we will declare emergency off a place where you can bring whatever spice you want. You can bring the spice from Dune if you can find it. Cause it's all Ooh. virtual is the bridge wow. cast every Sunday at 7 PM central time, uh, facebook.com slash bridge Chicago. Come on, join along. If you can't be with us in Chicago on Tuesday, it is the best way to experience the bridge. Facebook.com slash bridge Chicago. You can also check out Bridgebox missionusa.com slash bridge Get some good stuff into your inbox. The first of every month. We are going to jump to our first question here. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways to get in touch with us. Or you can scroll down in your episode description and click the links you find there. 
Our first question comes in and says, Someone I used to date treated me really badly. I know that revenge is wrong, but all I can think about every day is how to get back at them. How can God help me with this? And a a great question. Uh, and Lee, where would we kick this off? It is a great question. So glad that you wrote it in and wrote in so honestly about what you're feeling off that. And I think we can all understand that and say we, we've been in similar places before in different kinds of relationships. The, the f- place I think that we want to start off with this, especially speaking to what God would want for you, is I think that I think that God would, number one, uh, want you to know that he understands what you're feeling. So it, it makes sense that you want revenge because—and God speaks to that. He, he, he knows that you feel the things that you do. He's not afraid of any of your feelings. And so you can be completely honest with him about all of that. But I think that, that part of the wisdom that God would give you on this is— um, an old phrase, it's kind of a cliche, but a lot of cliches are cliche because they're actually true and there's a lot of wisdom there. Um, an old phrase that is, the best revenge is living well. I think that God would want you to go forward and live a full, satisfied life. Go into your next relationship with a, a, a better head about what it is you want, um, with some more wisdom about what you will and won't put up with, um, having learned from the the situations that you've been through in this relationship. When you go forward into your life and you are living well, you're living full, you're living a satisfied life, you're living a life where everybody can see that you've got you've got balance and joy. You've you're healthy. You're happy with the situation that you're in, that is the best way for you to really, honestly, to get back at any kind of person who hurt you or, or, um, you know, who didn't treat you well. Um, you know, anything that we would really kind of come up with as revenge, even though that stuff kind of like in that mental space where you're, where you're thinking about it, where you're thinking about the, you know, the great comeback, the, uh, the jerk store comment or whatever it would be like that space always feels like it, that would be awesome. If I could just really lay into the revenge, it never quite pans out that way. Um, it, it never quite works the way that we hope it would. But when you just go forward and you're living a healthy, satisfied, full life, when you are engaged in a relationship that brings you joy, a relationship that, that makes you happy, um, that is the best possible kind of revenge you can get. And part of that process, I think, for you to move forward and to, and to live whatever is your best next step is to really look to the Lord to find out what is the wisdom that you need to glean as you come out of this relationship where you weren't treated well? What is something that you can learn that will impact the way that you do relationships next? And I think a really key element is on that is to inquire, like to ask the Lord about that, that specific question without getting bogged down in the idea that that means I have to feel really bad. Um, I didn't do some things well. And so I was treated poorly. And you know, the, the idea that I need to learn something means that I was really bad or I was really awful. It doesn't mean that we all have growing edges. We all have some stuff to learn at all times. We can apply to the Lord for wisdom without getting bogged down in the idea of, I need to be ashamed of the way I handle myself in this situation. You don't need to be, you get to move forward. You get to move forward with a clean slate, but part of moving forward is to go to the Lord and say, what is it you want me to learn from this? Because I, the, the best way for me to get back at that person that hurt me 
is just to have some really, really awesome, healthy relationships on the other side. So that's, I think that's where we need to start is your best revenge is living well. And part of that process is in a shame-free way, being open to the Lord about what is the thing that I most need to learn so that I can do a healthy relationship going forward. That is an excellent, excellent place to start. And Glenn, what would we have to add to that? Well, I I agree with all of that, and uh, you know I think there's something something that's hard for us to admit about revenge, uh, thoughts of revenge, which is that we really enjoy those thoughts a lot. <laughs> They're really kind of delicious. We we also kind of live vicariously through you know, like we we have we watch revenge porn. You know, it's the action movie where they. You know, they kill the dog at the beginning of the movie, and the guy goes and, you know, shoots everybody. You're like, ha-ha, revenge. You know, it's it's satisfying. It pays off, you know. And I think we have to admit that to ourselves. That, And that doesn't mean that we're bad people for, you know, for having those thoughts or, or being consumed by them at times. But it's about recognizing that it's, it's like, uh, you know, I don't know, like junk food where you you just eat one potato chip. Next thing you know, you're eating the whole bag and you feel gross. Uh, so let's, let's recognize that there's nothing good down that road. It's not good for you. Uh, in fact, I think it's perhaps most important for us to look at this, uh, instead of looking at it uh, on the basis of right and wrong to, to start by looking at it as, as healthy versus unhealthy. If something's unhealthy, it kind of doesn't matter if it's right or wrong, because why would you do it if it's unhealthy? I mean, it's just, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's wrong. I can show you the Bible verse that says that it's wrong, but it's also eating you up inside. Why would we, why would that be a thing that you'd not want to let go of? Uh, So I think ultimately, long term, it's about saying, I'm hurting myself with this. Uh, and yeah. so here's here's how that works I think in in the in the in the real world in a practical sense is that we have this way of rehearsing the anger. We play these scenarios out in our mind and as Lee was pointing out, you know, we're coming up with the perfect zinger and that kind of stuff. Uh, but what that does is we're experiencing the trauma of that and the negativity of that over and over and over and over again. This wasn't, you know, this person inflicted something on us once, but we're inflicting something on ourselves 10 times, 100 times the size of that. So we have to recognize, uh, you know, I can't let this person live in my head like that. I can't let this situation play itself out over and over again. It's over, and I need to decide to find a way to resolve this in my mind and move on. I think part of what might help you with that. Uh, is uh, the story of of Joseph. And uh, we covered this topic at the bridge, and Sarah Rocha, who is unbelievable, preached on it. Uh, You ought to check that out on the the, uh, Bridge Live uh, replay there on Facebook. Really, really good stuff. But, you know, she was talking about, you know, how Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery and, you know, did everything they could really to ruin their life and uh, ruin his life and, you just take everything down to zero and he was able to rise up and you know be have all this power and have this position and then the brothers come to him and he has every opportunity 
to squash them, every opportunity to you know, throw them in jail if he wanted to, I guess, or you know, sell them into slavery if it comes to that. And he doesn't. And I think the way most people read that story is, wow, isn't Joseph great? I think the way you and I should read that story is if you had the power, if you had the absolute power to absolutely have your revenge while they are begging for mercy, you wouldn't take it. You think you would. You think maybe you would. You, 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 you'd sense I would be tempted, but you wouldn't take it. You just wouldn't. The, the, all these desires are for revenge are related to not having the power and not being able and feeling powerless about it and fantasizing about getting that power back. But if you had the power, you wouldn't use it that way because that's not who you are. You're not a, an evil person that squashes people, whether they deserve it or not. You've been forgiven, and there's a voice inside of you, a, a conscience inside of you that's telling you, you're better than that, and uh, that this isn't what God wants for you. And uh, you would imme- immediately realize if you were in that position of power, I get a chance to feel better about myself, and I, I have a chance to prove that I'm a better person, and I and that's what you would do. You would take it. So I think if you recognize that's what you would do if you had that power, that makes it easier to start letting go of these things and starting to work through that process of of extricating yourself from the conflict of all that and having a life that God wants for you. That's all great stuff from both of these guys. One thing I would add to the end of this, and I think the most common, as they're, they're mentioning here, you know, be it the jerk store, the going to the gym and getting, you know, all jacked is this idea of, I will make a change that will make this person regret the way they treated me. And that has never happened in the history of time. Like here, here I, I, will, I will flip around. I've definitely treated people badly. And there have been times where I've come to realize that I regret that deeply, but it never had to do with the change they made. It had right. to do with changes I made. Uh, this whole, like this person did me really dirty and I will get back at them. That's just not really, you could inflict damage on them in the way they did you, but you're not going to end up feeling great about that. Right. So I think part of, you know, what at least starts off with the best revenge is living well is kind of because a big part of that is you turning it loose because that, and that ties into to Glenn, what's Glenn saying about kind of the, the reliving the incident over and over again. It's the, uh, it's the meme and the Mad Men meme with, you know, I feel sorry for you. And the John Hamcarrier line is, I don't think about you at all. Like if this person was really, hurtful in a way that uh, said they don't take your thoughts or feelings or your experience as a human being into account, uh, they might not. And there's nothing you can do to make them do that. You can't become a better version of yourself to the point where they feel like they need to, they really should have treated you with human dignity. They need to become someone who feels like you should treat other people with human dignity. So not only as both these guys have laid out, is it unhelpful in, for yourself to go through life feeling that way. It's also really unhelpful to the situation. One of the reasons uh, the best revenge is living well is because it does actually set up the best situation for them coming to regret this, which is kind of the room to grow as a person. And hopefully that comes to them. But if it doesn't, and you don't ever get revenge on them, you're still living well, which is pretty good Mm -hmm. too, much, much better than the alternative. 
So we're going to jump to our next question here. It comes in and says, I have a friend who's being dishonest with themselves. Like they recount a situation to someone and I was there and I know what they're saying isn't actually how it went down. It doesn't seem like they're lying really more like they're rewriting things to fit the way they see themselves. What do I do? Should I do anything? And another really cool question and Lee, where'd we kick off here? Yeah, this is a very, very cool question. It's, it's, it's astute. I mean that, you, you know, that it's, it's a sharp thing that you were able to recognize, man, this person is, um, I think the way that they either said what rewriting or retelling Matt. Yeah. They're kind of, I think that rewriting things, rewriting things. That's such a great, that's such a great way to say it because, you know, for a lot of people, the way that they kind of operate in their experiences you know, it depends on how much reality is involved in that, in, in the way that they feel that experience. A lot of people operate under what we would call a narrative. And you hit the nail on the head when you say rewriting things. People write a narrative in their head of what happened to them. And a lot of times when people do create a narrative of what they're going through, they wind up it it always winds up, they wind up being this passive person to whom things are happening. They wind up being the victim. Um, and you're catching this, um, with this person. And this is a, this, this is not a, uh, unfortunately not all that rare a thing. And you do see people doing this where they're not actually able to face the changes that they need to make or, you know, some, some amends that they need to deal with or, um, some, some difficult conversations that they needed to enter, that they need to enter into because they see themselves as the hapless victim of other people being uncool or of situations going against them or whatever the deal is. So the question is, where does that leave you? What do you do about that? My answer, my response to this, unfortunately is, um, if I were you, I do not give a lot of unsolicited advice. My experience is that when people are not ready to be in a position to receive advice, you giving advice has very little impact on what they do. Um, Some people are more diplomatic about listening to advice when they didn't ask for it. Um, But basically... Anybody that doesn't straight up ask you, I am asking for your advice. I don't know what to do. My experience is if you try to tell them what to do, they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to take your advice. They're not going to go for it. Um, people, most people already believe that the thing, that the course that they're on is the right course. And unless they have the kind of humility where they're going to come to you and ask about it, about the kind of health and growth that they should be achieving, or what is the thing I'm not seeing about this situation? Every now and then you find folks like that. But if a person isn't asking, I don't tell them. Um, now, the the thing that I will say is I've been in plenty of situations um, where I see somebody that that does need to be able to kind of see from a different angle or a different perspective or a paradigm shift or whatever, there's something that they're massively missing and it's causing a lot of problem or it's causing a lot of difficulty. And I will a lot of times just pray for an opening. And sometimes I'll straight up ask someone, Hey, would you be interested in some pushback on that when they're talking to me about it? 
hey, here's the, here's the way this went down, and here's why I'm so upset, and here's what I'm so confused about. And then I would say, yeah, I hear you. That makes a lot of sense that you're upset about that. Would you be open to seeing this from a different angle? Totally understand if you're not, but I just wanted to just wanted to ask that. And if somebody gives you that opening, if somebody gives you that permission, or if somebody comes to you and says, after you've been praying about that or or looking for an opportunity to have that conversation, then I would say you have a completely different kind of you have a different situation on your hands. You have a different conversation on your hands. But in my experience, um, depending on who you are in their life, if you're just a peer or just a friend, especially people are not super open unless they have the humility where they're coming to you and asking for it. You may be in a situation where you can ask for that. Maybe you're close friends. Maybe, maybe you've been through a lot of stuff before. Um, but you probably need to ask for the, the, the chance to have some pushback, the chance to offer a different perspective and see if they're open to it. I think that's a fantastic place to to start off and absolutely the right advice. Um, Unsolicited feedback just doesn't go down well in any walk of life, particularly when we're talking about something that is pretty fraught with uh, somebody's self-perception and really maybe a fundamental way they see the world. You know, as Lee's pointing out there, when people get into that mode of seeing everything through a certain narrative, maybe where their fortune's fooled or everything's conspiring against them and all that, that's that gets pretty deep seated. So uh, poking at that without, without any kind of consent is going to be probably a real tough hill to climb, but Glenn, I'd love to get it to turn it over to you here because let's say either someone does ask you, you get that opening in whatever way is least pointing out there. What does that conversation look like in order to have the best chance of some kind of success? Well, yeah, I think part part of what it's a good question because I think part of what we're laying out here is you have person one who you know the 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 person at the center of this who is saying I portraying themselves as I am bravely overcoming adversity when there really isn't much and that's how they're you know that's the victim thing and whatever but it's I've got so much adversity. It's so heavy, but you know, I'm just, I'm just overcoming it. And that's just who I am. You know, well, what happens is that person tells, you know, person two about it, but then person two wants to come to you and say, is that really what happened? Is that really what's going on? Also, why aren't you giving a lot of sympathy here? You seem to be having a cold reception to this. So you kind of get put in a position where it's hard to not take a side and not say something and not out this person. Uh, but, it, you know, per Matt's question, you know, part of this is if somebody's, you know, coming to me and saying, look, you know, I've been portraying myself a certain way and, and you know, it's not, uh, I want to, I don't want to be this person anymore. I don't want to paint myself as, you know, the bravely overcoming victim person. Uh, I would start with this idea of, um, of the, or the concept of hype. Let's talk about hype because uh, hype is, you know, it's, it's basically taking things and exaggerating them and, you know, dr- dramatizing them, uh, you know, fudging the numbers a little bit. So it's a little bit more than, than reality. And that becomes a habit that gets us, you know, it towards that pathological lying kind of world. We don't even want to set a pinky toe down that road. 
So what we want to do is have an attitude of uh, rounding down instead of rounding up, if you want to put it that way. Uh, it, it, you know, if if you're if someone's asking you how you're doing at work, you you might you know you say how many widgets did you make today? You might round that number down rather than exaggerate it and say that that's more than what it is because this habit of exaggerating to try and get approval to try and get attention it just always has you worried that people are going to find you out. Mm. And that tension just never goes away. And you feel like a fraud because you kind of are fraudulently talking about your life. And so when people do give you attention and sympathy, you don't feel like you deserve it. And you feel like if they knew the truth, they wouldn't give it to you. So you're never actually experiencing that kind of sympathy and, and, and love and you know assistance that people want to give you. That's, there's just no way to win off of that. So it's a simple solution to say, I, it, rather than hype up uh, how brave I am in overcoming these things and all these other things, I can say, look, you know, this is happening. It's a tough situation. Um, you know, I'm dealing with it by and by. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know, there's there's no need for us to make a big deal out of it, et cetera, and so on. Uh, I think there's, for sure... Uh, it, it's wrong for people to put you in a position of confirming or denying their fibbing. And I think sometimes that's about going to that person and say, look, people are going to ask me about this. What do you want me to say? Because the reality is this, you're kind of describing it this way. It's a little overcooked. I see what you're saying. It's a little, eh. and from a certain perspective, yes, but the cold, hard, you know, in, in, empirical reality is a little different. Do you, are you comfortable with me explaining that, or do you want me to just go ahead with your you know slightly spun, slightly exaggerated, a little overcooked explanation of things? Because I'm not super comfortable with that. Um, you know, I think that um, you know finding a way of putting that ball back in their court and getting them to think about the position they're putting you in, and recognizing these these things don't happen in a vacuum. Uh, I want to back you up. I want for you to have attention and sympathy. You may have been wronged in this situation, and I think that needs to stand on its own. But let's let's deal with the exaggeration element of this and give me permission to, you know, tell the more, you know, undramatic, uh, dry version of this with slightly more accurate uh, data there. I think that might put them in a position of recognizing uh, they need to do a little different. And if they if they say no, back up my line, then you kind of know, okay, this right. is an unhealthy thing. Yeah, I think that's all great stuff from these guys, and it really does get to the the sticky thing navigating this, as we pointed out, is going to be um, how deeply embedded this can be. And I, I think, knowing our listeners and just reading the situation you definitely come at this from a good place of this is not, you know, some definitely some unsolicited advice situations where someone really wants to just get in there and give their opinion and uh, hear themselves talk. And my, my, my guess would be that you can see a way in which this is going to be very hurtful to this person at some point that might be somebody calls them on it or, and maybe even in a darker world, somebody doesn't call them on it for 
five, 10, however many years, and they just kind of retreat into this reality of their own making, which is uh, not good for the human mind or spirit, it turns out. Um, but as, as Lee pointed out, that this still falls under the category of unsolicited advice. Um, so that can be a hard thing uh, that you know you're going to watch this person kind of go through something tough on the other end. But um, the hope is, as we often point out with other things, is to have put yourself in position to be the person when it comes around there. And you do that definitely by, by being kind, by being gentle, but also as Glenn kind of points out here, it's also important not to go all in on just backing up their, their lies and feeding into that. It's not going to put you in a good position when this all comes down to be one of the people they think they fooled because here's the dark reality. And we've all known We've on the show known some people like this. People who kind of do this and are constantly respinning. Well, every story is well. I looked them in their eyeballs and I told them this, that, and the other, and they just didn't even know what to say to. Everyone kind of knows that's not true. They're not really fooling mm-hmm. nearly as many people as they think they are. Yeah, and on some level, normally they know that. So having some credulity, you know, having some points to say, well, that's not. Yes, actually, that's not exactly the way I remember that, but. Who knows? Uh, or just not avoiding those situations, not really being on the buy-in, does put you in the long run in a better place to be in that helpful, loving, supportive place when whatever brings them be- down to earth does bring them down to earth. And unfortunately, that always happens. So we can be preparing for that moment. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, there's a Bible study I was part of that I felt I had to leave. The way some of the people who were involved didn't always were involved acted didn't always sit well with me. I feel like I'm being judgmental, but I also have to do what's best for me, though, right? Where is that line? And a, another very very cool question actually echoes something uh, our colleague Pete Lawson and I were uh, talking to some guys about when we were in Cook County Jail a couple weeks ago. Of it was actually a very interesting discussion of the, if you've never done or been around jail stuff, uh, they often have a kind of Bible study that they call deck prayer all the guys on the deck and really conversation of two sides of one, a couple of guys who are saying, I don't really go to that because, you know, I saw these guys, they'd be in deck prayer and then they'd be saying this other stuff and it just didn't sit very well with me. And some other guys who were looking at again, all grown Lord, looking at the exact same situation and saying, yeah, I acknowledge that that's there, but I still think it's actually good for me to go to this. And watching those two groups come together on something was very interesting. So Lee, I guess that kind of reflects us back to this point of where does an individual draw that line? I love the the just the story that you kind of illustrated there um with the with the deck prayer deal because it just feels like such a such a mature way of which we've often seen this stuff in in jail stuff of like th- there sometimes can be a clarity about certain ministry things that you don't find in churches uh, church stuff just gets really really bogged down and and, and sometimes with with uh, with prison ministry, there's a there's a clarity there where people can see a, a more mature way to handle this. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, Bible studies can be great things. They can be encouraging places for believers to grow, um, for for community to be built, all that kind of stuff. All that stuff is has the potential to be really positive. At the exact same time, that does not mean that every single person in the church has to be at everything that the church throws, or everybody has to be in this Bible study or that Bible study or a Bible study or anything like that. 
Um, if you recognize in a certain season, this thing that was good for me last semester, I don't, I'm not feeling it this semester. I think I'm going to sit this one out. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And we need to normalize some of these kinds of, of decision-making things within the body of Christ. You get to say, I don't want to go to that. And here's another layer to this. You don't even have to have a great reason. You can just not go. And that's totally fine. We need to make sure that we normalize the dignity and freedom of adult people to say, I want to go to this. I don't want to go to that. And I don't really have to over-explain that to anybody. You get to choose stuff. I think one of the things that that kind of plagued my personality um, for a lot of definitely teenage years and definitely like early 20s and and kind of on past that even was just this idea of like, well, if I say no to something, I have to have a really rock solid reason. Otherwise, I'm going to disappoint everybody. And then I'm going to uh, I'm going to let down somebody's expectations and then they are going to resent me and then I'm going to feel like I'm in trouble. And that was that was doubled down on church stuff. And I think some of that comes from the church that I grew up in. Some of that comes from just some church culture stuff. Some of it just comes from all kinds of things like, you know, anybody that's participated in youth sports, like you don't have the ability, especially in the South where, where, where all the hosts of this show came from, you can't miss like a practice or anything. You have to be like on death's door. Otherwise you're letting down your teammates, but I don't play coach. How can I be letting them down? (laughs) Was not a conversation. My coaches were ready to have. That's right. If you stand on the sidelines the whole time, how am I letting somebody down if I don't come to that grueling practice in mid-November? Yeah. And so, but all of that stuff bleeds over into, into some of this church culture stuff too. So, I mean, there are some finer points here just about, uh, about your question about being judgmental and stuff like that. But I think a really, really important place to begin here is just to normalize the idea that you don't have to go to everything. And not only do you not have to go to everything, you don't have to have a really locked down reason for that. You get to just not go, and that's okay. I think a, a really key element in that is recognizing there may be a place where the Lord wants you to go to things sometimes, but where he may be drawing you to go to something that you, you're really not feeling, but you just really feel a tug from him because he wants to use you in some cool way. That's great. Pay attention to that stuff. But also, you may just find that certain Bible studies or certain community groups or certain life groups or whatever the churches are calling it, or even the potluck, like, I'm just not feeling it today. I'm just not down, or this isn't a great season for me, and you get to miss that stuff. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you're judgmental. I'm not talking about your specific case here. Um, we can get into some finer points about your question there, but it it doesn't mean you're judgmental just because you don't want to go to something and that's okay. And we need to normalize the, your agency and dignity as a human being there. I think that's a great point. And Glenn, I think that really gets into the crux of probably the issue people have here, which is a big part of what our question asker asked of where do I draw that line? But then there's also the, what am I communicating with both my decision and the actual words I use when I talk about this, right? Well, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you you know, it's one of those things uh, when people leave something, it sort of implies a sort of condemnation of that. And that is what judgment kind of involves is is a condemnation. So I can see why you'd be worried about it. 
but uh, I think it is important to portray yourself as condemning it if you're condemning it or not condemning it if you're not and and making that clear. It's easy enough to say uh, my work schedule changed and that wasn't handy for me or it's easy enough to say uh, I just didn't feel like I was getting fed and that's okay. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. Or, you know, I think you, if you want to be a little more gentle about it, you might say it's just not it's just not my speed. It's not my scene. I didn't really click with, you know, all of that. Nothing wrong with it. It just everybody's got their taste and everybody's got their, you know, uh, whatever. The, the material wasn't really directed at the kind of stuff I happen to be struggling with. So I needed to find something that would help me with my struggles. That's, you know, I don't think anybody can fault you for that. If somebody has a funky attitude off you saying that, you know, you need to disregard that. Um, but I think, you know, I really want to look at what Lee was talking about with this idea. Because I think part of what Lee was talking about is obligation. Mm. You know, that, that you're letting the team down if you don't show up for practice. You have an obligation to the team. And I want to I want us to really take the concept of obligation and put it under the microscope here because I don't think you've thought at all about your obligations here. If we said what are your obligations if if the, the if the Holy Spirit's going to come down and write it on a on a tablet of what you what your obligations are is there any chance that the Holy Spirit would say Go to this place where you are not getting fed. The people are being weird. It's all like really funky. And none of them are asking for you to help them. None of them are asking you to give them advice on how to do it different. They just want to put their weirdness on you. So you are <laughs> obliged and obligated, and it, it is your Christian duty to go and let them put their weirdness on you. Is there any chance that's what the Holy Spirit would say? Because that's what you're thinking now. So mm. you know, if it sounds nutty when I say it out loud, we haven't examined the concept of obligation at all. If we want to look at, uh, if, if you ask me to, you know, I don't like living uh, according to obligations, but if that's what we need to do here, which is kind of a, a weird thing, but if we just have to live in a world of obligations here, I would say you want to feel a, an obligation to get with other good people who get it, that that's mm. important, that that's meaningful, that that is righteous, that building the kingdom means uh, iron sharpening iron and being around people who can build you up. If you're not doing that, I think you have an obligation to get to a place where you are getting that done. Um, I think that uh, the Lord is is uh, putting a calling on your life to be in emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy environments. And if you're not in that, I think specifically you are not meeting your obligation mm. to get your narrow butt the heck out of there. So I, I don't, if we're, if we're going to talk obligation, I, I don't think we have, you know, we don't have a leg to stand on here. Uh, I think we're better off looking at, are you in a place where those people are, uh, feeding you and encouraging you and equipping you to be able to serve to be able to to give out to other people are uh, is this an environment where these people are are able to do that now 
the counter argument, I suppose, to that is, well, you know, the, the world is full of broken people and, you know, this is a lot of everything is, is all, uh, you know, we have to deal with people's weirdnesses and blah, blah, blah. That's not what we're talking about here. I, look, we have a bridge service every Tuesday and we just love on each other as hard as possible. It's messy. We don't know what we're doing. We're trying to figure it out. But we're all being an encouragement and a positive influence on each other and just struggling to say, okay, what do we do next here? And how do we, how do we move forward with all the, the, the problems and traumas that we're dealing with? Uh, just because you're a broken person, that doesn't mean it's par for the course that you have to put all that brokenness on everybody around you. Say that. Uh, if you're not letting me be an encouragement to you and you are actively being a discouragement to me, there is nothing righteous or holy about that situation, and I there's no way I'm going to feel obligated uh, from the Lord that I need to participate in that. That's all great stuff from these guys, and it really does come down, as they're saying, to what you feel is best for you. And here, here's the thing from, from three guys who've been around a lot of religious and church stuff uh, over the years— Anyone who, whether it be a small group leader, a pastor, whatever, anyone who, who's got some experience and who has seen some things and knows what's coming down the pike will have no problem with this answer for why don't you come to that anymore. I just needed to change things up a little bit. Yeah, That's a perfectly acceptable answer. That's, that's what people with healthy walks do. Um, and if you, yeah. as you're making your own decision and when it comes to explaining to people, I think it is very helpful to think of the answers in the terms of why are you doing this? So you are not doing this because so-and-so did that. And so-and-so said that. And I saw so-and-so I, what you are doing an action. Why are you doing it? That's a perfectly reasonable question to ask if someone's the leader there. And you can explain that in terms of what you are doing. I, you know, I'd been in the group for a little while. I wanted to see what else there was. I wanted to make a change in my schedule. I was just feeling a little stale and changing things up and thought this was it. You can answer all those questions without having to get into anything that anybody else did or said, or what you think about anyone else. And even if those would be the primary reasons, um, it's, it's not, it's not helpful to a community to express things in that way. Probably. I mean, obviously there are things that fall under the, uh, the account of this needs to be, to be dealt with, but if you're making a decision for you, part of explaining that is being comfortable with that of I am making a decision because I feel this is best for me. I don't actually need to get into why I think it's best for me. I just think it's best for me. I get to make these decisions about these things for myself and anyone who is going to be someone you want to continue to be in community with, to be, you know, under the spiritual leadership of however you want to say it, we'll be cool with that. Because again, we've all seen that come and go. We've seen people, you know, I just needed to go from the the worship team to the kids ministry for a little while because I just need to do something different. Doesn't mean anything's bad, but sometimes you just need something different. It's totally okay, totally acceptable. But and explaining it in that I language is probably going to be very helpful, both for keeping the the uh, to for you know softening that blow wherever that is, but also for you. Just explain this in terms of what you're doing, and if someone tries to get into what anyone else is doing. You can't talk about what anyone else is doing because you're only talking about what you're doing. It's a very helpful way to go about things sometimes. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Don't forget to check out the Bridgecast every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time, facebook.com slash thebridgechicago. If you can't catch it live, you can catch every single Bridgecast archived over at that same 
Facebook page. Taylor's song this week. We will make up for an absence of Jed Brewer on the rest of the program with a yeah. little Jed Brewer on the way out. This is Ooh. a live recording from the bridge several years ago of Jed leading the men and women there in his song. Always, always, always. Thanks for listening. Take out that. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Let's say that podcast. When people send us food, we just say thank you with no cops <laughs> or lab tests involved. <laughs> I look at the threats and I look at the threats I've been hanging from. And Jesus, how I shudder as they come undone. It feels like I'm falling and my hope is gone. But sure, the one who's held me up all along. God, your hand is always on me. Take me.